This is Winging It. The somewhat whimsical, certainly worrying, decidedly wonky, seldom weighty, endlessly well-intentioned, and wildly witty show about music where one knows what's coming and the other doesn't. It happens between both proper to ensure you can spend anywhere from 15 to 180 minutes with us every week. And we're very thankful. Notice that even though we've been off the air for a few weeks... We still, the flock is hanging in there. They're, Thank they're, you. they're flocking together. They're hanging tough. We have listeners in like 22 countries in the last couple of weeks, and we thank every one of you. Are we making any promises now to these to these loyal followers? Oh, we're, 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 back, uh, we're back in uh, heavy rotation, folks. All right. Sorry about that, More folks. than you can take, okay? Believe me. <laughs> and uh, now here's the surprise. You notice I read the intro. That's kind of strange, that isn't is it? That is weird. And I know some of yous out there were thinking, you know, hey, Professor... Throw the kid a bone. She works hard. You know, <laughs> the, the, I can hear what I can feel what they're thinking. You see, the flock, the Pete, the folks are actually much more sensitive to your plight as a beast of burden than I am. So um, I'm hearing their cries. I've heard their inner voices, and to it, I will hearken. To them, I will mm. hearken. Uh, I suppose it won't kill me. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm willing to risk it. I don't know. You've done it before, and you still seem to be quite alive. Yeah, you know, and. I'm just uh, saying. So once again, here comes another lazy and yet paradoxically overwrought episode of Winging. (laughs) I have mastered the art of somehow running things into the ground while expending little to no effort. It's a gift, you know. (laughs) So I'm going to have some fun tonight. I think Wang Chung will be pleased with us. Definitely. (laughs) Going to bring some uh, St. Vitus dance to the airwaves tonight, you know. You know, I was right about that. I was was telling you what I thought the the phrase meant from the other Winging show. And uh, I was right about that, but I was wrong about something else. Iggy Pop's name. I actually got it wrong. I mean, talk about mortification. Uh Uh-oh. I mean that's like that sounds that's got to be a death metal band, but it's also what I felt. But I was, you know, remember when we were doing the. <laughs> you have to stop and let me laugh for mortification. <laughs> mortification. I am certain that's a death metal <laughs> you know, band. That should or an album. Name yeah. of an album. <laughs> mortification. You got to let me laugh at that shit, man. <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you. Thank All you. right. Yeah, you know, but um, you remember it was the show about the band names and yes. uh, yeah, and you know. Uh, the perception is that I was getting a lot of them. You were. I was kind of uh, drunk with power and you kind of really were. kind of feeling my oats. Uh, you should have seen your face the whole time. You're like, oh yeah. That <laughs> was a little bit of a streak there. And you can't feel your oats and remember people's names at the same time. It just oh, they're they're kind of a, it's a kind of a natural uh, stimulant. Where, but uh, I said Osterman and his name is Osterberg. Shame on oh, me, okay. uh, Iggy uh, James Osterberg. Anyway, so um, uh, we're all set. Uh, the mic is on and uh, nice and sensitive to pick up every single click of a lozenge in my mouth, according to Christina and nobody else. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You heard the fucking airplane noise. Trust me, they can hear the lozenge clicking. <laughs> All right, and you, <laughs> you are going, the airplane, the famous airplane noise, you are going to have to come up with a pithy name for this, because you're really good uh, at doing that, but this is basically what the show is about. Pop and rock artists who went on to do movie soundtracks. Oh, shit. That's a good one. You know, and I'll even tell you how, I th- how this occurred to me. Uh, it's in the in the can narrative, it will say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
giving away all your fucking secrets. Fourth you're, wall. You're like third winging it, and all your secrets are fucking out there. Yeah, there is. There, you're like you've broken the fifth wall. I take, don't know. Take it. I mean, we're we're in a dimension. We're in the fifth dimension here. Taking a bazooka to the fourth wall. Seriously. But um, okay, so you'll have to come up with a pithy, uh, catchy name for that. Uh, pop and rock artists who went on to do movie soundtracks is probably a little cumbersome, but cumbersome <laughs> is what I do best. Um, Benedict Cumbersome here. You, you know, know, this reminds me of, of a death metal band, Mortification. Mortification. <laughs> Total mortification. I was feeling my oats, man, you know. You know, I've heard of sewing, never feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess you can feel it. I'm ants. not 100% sure what it means, but I think it's just like you're kind of like kind of well, grooving, kind of well, high. You can both feel and sew your oats at the same time. It's it's something I don't normally talk about in polite company, but we're not polite. They And they, they actually uh, compliment each other very nicely. Feeling <laughs> one's oats and sewing one's oats. Yes, indeed. I mean, you're feeling them, you're sewing them. It's a circle. It's Get a her cycle, done. You know? Get her done. But anyway, um, a pop rock artist who went on to do movie soundtracks or whatever Christina decides to call it. <laughs> uh, now, on this subject, I agree with Paste Magazine, which is one of the sources I use. Yes, Paste Magazine. Hell yeah. It's like Library of Paste Eating uh, Nerds <laughs> Magazine. The <laughs> <laughs> Elementary <laughs> school reference. There you go. The, uh, At least it's not glue stick recent mag. Seems like recent history to me. And uh, the contribution in question must be a musical score rather than a collection of songs called from an artist's recent album. So that kicks out Leonard Cohen and McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Cat Stevens, Harold mm-hmm. and Maude, Jimmy Cliff, The Harder They Come. They don't count. And for the sake of fairness, films where the central musician is also the star are void. So like No Purple Rain or Eight Mile or anything like okay, that. Okay, all right, shit. That also knocks films out of the running, such as Author Stephen King's directorial debut, Maximum Overdrive, based on his own short story, Trucks. Because <laughs> Maximum Overdrive might not be a great title, but it beats the hell out of Trucks. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Said film, which starred Emilio Estevez, who will pop up later mm. into conversation, features nothing in the way of music but songs by ACDC. That's not a, that's not a score. You know That doesn't count for that. It doesn't count for Not much. what we're talking about. By the way, I didn't know this either until, until this... King never directed another film, perhaps stung by critical panning and comments such as one stating he, quote, hasn't got an ounce of visual style, the vaguest idea of how to direct actors, or the sense God gave a grapefruit. Ow! Ouch! Uh, And he raises his middle finger and says, fuck you, I make more money than all you motherfuckers (laughs) with my books, so you know what? I decided to fucking go out on a limb. Maybe it didn't work the way you wanted it to, but I'm proud as fuck. In fact, we have his reaction here. The author later called it a, quote, moron movie. A learning... Oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck. A learning experience. I'm reeling that back in. <laughs> he's like, he's got a... His cameos are always priceless, and he's uh, he did a cameo in that. I mean, his cameos are like, you've never seen so much ham, hamming it up in your whole life as oh, Stephen yeah. King. I mean... I mean, I've seen some serious hamming. No, oh, yeah, but he, he takes the cake. All right. He takes the ham. Uh, hey, when you don't have the sense, God gave a grapefruit. You know? <laughs> uh, the author later called it a moron movie, a learning experience, and vowed never to direct again. Now, mm. but in its defense, there is one striking visual that we must acknowledge, which is that 18 wheel with, uh, with the tractor adorned with the huge green goblin oh, mask. Oh, hell yeah. That was badass. That Come was on, badass. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I have a confession. What? 
that movie scared the fuck out of me. It's a freaky movie. It really is. I mean, like, I was terrified of that movie. I watched that movie and I thought, I will never sleep again. But then there was Christine, the fucking possessed yeah, car. That was pretty, that was pretty I was like, are you fucking kidding me yeah. with these cars? I can't handle shit. <laughs> and the books are way worse, too. I, and know? I never read the books yeah, because like, that'll earworm, you know, like kind of yeah, earworm yeah. itself he in writes there. Disturbing I'll, never, books, you know, I'll yeah. never be able yeah. to sleep again. So uh, Great epic rap battle of history, though, to hear King boasting <laughs> in a rap battle between Edgar, uh, Stephen King and Edgar Allen. Poe, very funny, very funny rap. You're gonna, you should, we're gonna have to drop that into uh, our our page so that they can oh, check it out. You should hear, you should hear, so good. Uh, King boasting, it's hilarious. You know? And speaking of goblins, as I say, we'll get uh, we'll get back to that. Uh, not a green one, but another kind. Hmm. However, um, oh, I know, I remember. I was going to ask you if you knew who did the score, and then tell you, and then read the can narrative. Okay, all right, all right. The Princess Bride. Ooh, that was a good one. Ooh, I can see the credits, but I cannot read the name. My love is like a storybook story. I haven't watched it in so long. I don't remember the, the, the music very well. Oh. But, I mean, the movie, every line. It's one of those movies where every line is every, quotable. Every line. Yeah, I do not know that. I love the score, though. Oh, yeah. Well, when not demonstrating his skills with an axe as lead singer-guitarist of Dire Straits, <gasps> Mark Knopfler... No way. yes appears to enjoy a secret life as a film composer. Now, wait a minute. Who thinks of this stuff? It's not a secret life. His name is right there. Mark Knopfler score. So it's not right. a secret life. It's just lesser known, obviously, than Dire Straits. Damn. Stumped. Some of these I had no idea. Wow. Writing music for films like Local Hero, Cal, and Wag the Dog. And I'm sorry, I, I grew up, I've been in a cave. I never saw Wag the Dog. I never saw it. I yeah. wanted to, but yeah, I never I've saw it. Yeah, I wanted to. I'm told, but anyway, that was Mark Knopfler. Damn. Now... His most notable contribution, however, is the score for 1987 fantasy comedy The Princess Bride. It takes a special man to write music to accompany rodents of unusual size. R-O-U-S's? R-O-U-S's. I don't think they exist. I don't think that means what you think it means. Yeah. You using that word. I wouldn't dare to try. That was just the most quotable movie of all time. One of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Classic. Part of my collection, I probably say, yeah. Yes. And you know who turned me on to that movie? Who? My mother. Oh, really? One of her favorite movies of all time. It's, and a, it's a classic. I remember thinking, oh, please, my mom recommended I'm not going to watch it. Shit. It was amazing. As you wish. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. All but right. That still will kill me. Somebody says, as you wish. I'm like, my God. Here's one you know that um, all I got to do is say the name of the film, and you will immediately tell me who did it. Flash Gordon. That's Queen. Yes, Queen. Okay. Flash Gordon may not be the best movie you in the were world. worried for a second. Look at your For face. a split second, I thought, I've, I've been caught out there Flash. believing ah. you knew something that you didn't before. That's yeah. true. With every um, hummingbirds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like every, yeah, that's a good example. Every hummingbird. <laughs> Actually, unless you're a huge can of, fan of 80s camp, it can be a rough one to get through. This is them talking. I've never seen it. It is rough. What it does have, however, is a fun, upbeat, and yes, perfectly cheesy score, courteous, courtesy of various members of Queen. Now, everybody pretty much knew that one, but perhaps less widely known is that Queen songs were used in the 1985 film Highlander. N I didn't know that Bruce knew that. I didn't ah, know. Ah, namely, so you knew because you because knew. Because of Bruce, right. Yeah, because but of I did Bruce. not know yeah. that before. I've never, I saw it when I was a kid. I never saw the movie either, but I just, the album credits tell you. Yep. Uh, although sometimes in different arrangements, uh, Princess of the Universe is a kick-ass oh, wow. song. Give Me the Prize, another Sh killer song. Um, and the album version includes snippets of dialogue from the film. I know his name. It's fucking <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, One Year of Love. Uh, and that's the only Queen song that ever had saxophone on it. Mm. Uh, John Deacon song. Don't Lose Your Head. Who Wants to Live Forever? Oh. 
and a kind of magic. Roger Taylor. Come on. However, the actual score score was composed by maestro Michael Kamen, who, among other things, arranged Metallica's S&M concert, the original mm, one, wow. um, with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, also toured with Bowie on keyboards Jeez. and oboe in the 70s. And there's a legitimate Bond tie here. I knew he, it was coming. He also scored Timothy Dalton's second turn as 007, License to Kill. That was also, Michael Kamen also did, um, uh, I was going to say Die Hard, Die Hard, yeah. Mm. Never anyway, saw any of those either. Did you ever see this one? I never did. The Last Temptation of Christ. Mm, I did. Willem Dafoe. Okay, do you know who did the score? No. Oh, you're going to be amazed. You're truly going to be amazed. As both the frontman of the prog rock band Genesis and a solo artist, Peter Gabriel has always displayed an affinity for world music, specifically on the sounds bursting forth from Africa and the Middle East. Yep, that makes sense. And uh, we're going to hear more of further and older and deeper uh, origins of that whole trend in a short time. In scoring Martin Scorsese's highly controversial take on the life and struggles of Jesus of Nazareth, Gabriel is able to indulge in his interests, crafting a score that manages to meld wailing vocals with 80 synths in a way that is shockingly haunting. Mm. Never heard it. I don't know that, that it stood out to me. What stood out was just what was happening on the screen. Yeah, never got around to that one. You're going to be okay. I, I yeah. say just run screaming from it. It didn't sound it. like much it's of anything. Right. Um, how, do you know who did the score for There Will Be Blood? Uh, no. Now, I never saw this one. First, I didn't either. I remember it was a big deal about Daniel Day-Lewis's performance. Oh, yeah, I've heard. And it gives us the marvelous phrase about drinking others' milkshakes mm-hmm. and all that stuff. <laughs> I will drink your milkshake. Um, but uh, I never. I don't like this whole you know power-mad diography thing. It was Johnny Greenwood of my favorite band, Radiohead. Wow. Did the score for There Will Be Blood. Well, I should not be surprised, because if you hear the soundscapes, I mean, if you're a normal human and listen to good music, not 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 you, of course. In this, If you're not a Radiohead hater. Yeah. yeah uh, but, I mean, seriously, the soundscapes that they create is Radiohead, and then obviously I can only imagine each of them. I mean, I've heard, you know, Tom York's, also his solo stuff. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the so name good. I know. He, is he the singer? Because mm-hmm. Greenwood's the guitarist. Mm-hmm. I only knew York's name. Uh because I don't know very, I know very little about Radiohead, of course. I would jump into Greenwood if I were you and look at his. He's incredible. He's solo. Just, oh my god, yes. Every, he's so, in so many projects. He just has so much going on. They're just brilliant musicians. Wow. Hmm. All right. Well, here's a. I don't know. There are things on the list that I'm not sure if they belong because hmm. um, they're more like producers than recording artists. I don't. They're, Dust bro- the Dust Brothers is not like a you don't go out and buy one of their records. The hell is the Dust Brothers? Yeah. As producers, though, Dust Brothers have created some of the most... They're on the list. I'm just why I'm reading it. Interesting. Defining and celebrated sounds of the 90s from the Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique mm. to Beck's Eau Delay and to Hanson's Mbop. Dust Brothers. <laughs> wow. As the... Uh, uh, they did the score to... The profoundly disturbing film Fight Club. <laughs> so good. It is good though. Damn it, it God, is good. It's so good. I only saw, I saw when Meatloaf passed away because I wanted to see. He's you brilliant know, in that. And it turns oh. out it's. I, I thought it was a bunch about a bunch of jerk offs who like to just get together and beat each other up. Oh, it's way more disturbing. No, that would be bad enough. It's way more disturbing than it's, that. 
but it's more exciting as a result. I mean, it's like you're sitting there, you're watching. The only thing that's frightening about it really is that people might actually agree with what they're doing. <laughs> right. That's the, disturbing. The chaos enough. people, you know. But then you the know. layers, then yeah. the layers. What did they the call layers. themselves? Why do I forget that name? The Mayhem something? I can't yeah. remember either. Yeah, they, been, I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, they had a name for themselves, and but people yeah, it was are brilliant. into that. I mean, all of the actors in that were just oh, fucking incredible. Oh, good Lord. But good Meatloaf, wow. No, Edward Norton? Um, oh, he is you, Glass Onion is a fabulous movie, and he's he's the star of that. Besides Daniel Craig, you know, he's just one of those people that though you hear is terrible to work with, like Daniel Day Lewis. Like mm-hmm. they're brilliant, but they're horrible to work with because they're method actors and they perfectionists and all that stuff. So you know, if they're going to be in a movie, yeah. it's going to be fucking amazing, and everyone will leave probably hating them. <laughs> You know, I mean, even when people are difficult to work with, at the end of the day, I mean, what's the product? It's like, oh, I mean, you hear these stories, oh, Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe. What comes out, what came out it's was gold. gold. Oh, yeah. she showed up on this, uh, all disheveled and all looking horrible, and uh, Prince, Princess and the Showgirl. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Prince and the Showgirl mm-hmm. with Olivier. But it's pure gold, that movie. Yeah. And, I mean, nobody looked bad. Everything, everything was great. It was funny. Anyway, um, the uh, Fight Club, as the uh, guiding musical hands behind David Fincher's 1999 masterpiece, I'm using their words here, although it honestly was a a compelling film. It is a masterpiece, I agree. Uh, However, the group created a chaotic, what a surprise, yet exhilarating score that reflected the mindset of the film's disturbed protagonist. (laughs) There's a lot of of disturbed people in this movie. There's some disturbed shit going on in the movie. But damn, if I couldn't, I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't turn away for a second. It was so gripping. All right, now this is a kind of obscure film that even you probably haven't seen, artsy film, The Royal Tenenbaum. I have. Have you really? Absolutely. Who did the score then? I don't know who did the score, but it was hilarious. Very, Oh, it's a comedy. It sounds like some stuffy historic period piece. No, The Royal Tenenbaums, I think it's Gene Hackman, right? Oh, forget I mean, about it! I on. love he's the he's the best. It's man. just it's and I think it's Ben Stiller. It's brilliant. It's oh. like it's kind of like a I would I would say it's like a dark comedy. It's I I found it brilliant. It's bizarre. It, anything like Michael Caine or Gene Hackman or any of those guys is in. Forget about it. I mean, honestly, I mean, I grew up a theater brat. Remember, I told you that, that imaginary term last time. Those were among my favorites growing up. Caine and um, fuck. <laughs> Hackman, man. Hackman. Come on. Kane and Hackman and all those guys and Duval yeah. and Borgnine, you know. I just love them. All right. Um, I have to cut the silence before Hackman. I can't believe I couldn't remember Hackman because it isn't written down in the can narrative. That's, That's the problem. right. Well, and you're looking at it. So, so. the Royal Tenenbaums. Now I'm intrigued. Yes. And you, it's utterly bizarre, but I would still, it's I, worth it. I, I like a lot of bizarre movies, actually. It's very bizarre. I just bizarre. don't like depressing movies. Bizarre movies, I'm fine with. It's got moments of depression. Oh, moments but are it's, okay. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Co-founder of the highly influential 80s new wave band Devo, Mark <laughs> Mothersbaugh. Wow. Has a list of soundtrack credits a mile long. I didn't see that coming. Nope. In How that, cool. Yeah, right? All that electronic, you know. In that regard, his inclusion feels like something of a cheat. Mm. Uh, yet, however, having I mean, just because he's made a million soundtracks doesn't disqualify him. No. Having been in a successful pop band before the girth of the credits, that still counts. Absolutely. You know? I mean... Devo, come on. I mean, uh, everybody knows Devo. Everybody. Besides the Royal Tenenbaums, he scored an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, mm. several Rugrats movies, 21 Jump Street, which is in my collection, Herbie Fully Loaded, Happy Gilmore, not in my collection. I love that movie. <laughs> Do you it's really? really stupid, 
But I love Adam Sandler. You got to be a Sandler fan, and I am I, way back a Sandler fan. You know, I never would have dreamed I would be open to that possibility. But I used to absolutely detest the very mention of Jim Carrey's name, and now I think he's a genius. You know, he is a genius. I mean, I have a, several Jim Carrey films now that I, I just I got to have this. Yeah, thing. all that all that stuff that you have in your mind, just let it go and just jump in. Well, I know Adam Sandler is talented. He's fucking ridiculous. I might not like like the kind of comedy he does every time, but of course he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant, and yeah. I just you. You watch a lot of stuff, in my opinion, uh-huh. that is right in that pocket. So it doesn't make any yeah. sense. It's yeah. right there. Yeah. You're like you're like circling the Adam Sandler pocket. Circling the Adam Sandler <laughs> drain. You know? Just get in there. <laughs> he also never saw this one, but it's always been intriguing. He also did the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. That was very good. Bill Murray and uh, as a Jacques Cousteau type character. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a long time ago. Yeah. I don't remember it very well. But again, when Adam Sandler, you saw The Wedding Singer. When Adam yes. Sandler turns it <laughs> yes. on, he's fucking brilliant. Oh, yes. The Wedding Singer. He totally won me over in that one. I just yeah. watched it again last uh, night. It's just too it. funny. Love it. Uh, that was uh, Also, in addition to the uh, the faux Cousteau picture, he did Hotel Transylvania. Didn't oh, know that. And nice. many others. And, you know, Damn. he set out to become a successful film composer, and I'd say he whipped it good. Oh, shit. <laughs> you see what well, I mean? Well, I just want to say, you know, when... Problem comes along. A movie comes along. Well, you must score it. Must whip it. He I'm just, just saying. He did. Fuck. And he is one of a pair, or perhaps <laughs> probably more, whose names have been so associated with film scores that we might forget they were once recording artists first, like Danny Elfman. Oh, God, yeah. Danny Elfman. Uh, God. Along with Mother's Ball, Danny Elfman's numerous contributions to the world of film scores is almost enough to make one forget his days as the leader of the Skyrock group. Say it. I can't. You can't say Oingo Boingo? I can't. Yeah. Oingo Boingo. It is, it is, I mean, he is so next level, like, just this cult favorite, and then this brilliant composer. Oingo Boingo was, like, it was famous for a little while, but it's mostly, like, a cult following, mm-hmm. like, kind of like Joy Division, but in a different way. But Danny Elfman just blows my mind. I mean, he I is mean, a talent with no end. You write movie scores, you write songs for Dead Man's Parties. Come you on. Know. Uh, there's a tribute band, Oingo Boingo tribute band, that plays around here oh, called yeah. Dead Man's Party. Yes, yeah. which is a brilliant name for a cover band. Or it's a, a tribute it's band. absolutely fantastic name. Uh, hired by director Tim Burton to write a score for his debut film, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Shit. I didn't know Tim Burton had anything to do with that because I never saw it. You know, I didn't know that either, but now oh, that you say oh, that, yeah. I can see you can his see. influence. I All of a sudden, my the, brain came back. I can see his influence the in bat it. The batshitness of yeah, it. Yeah, but I did not know that. Elfman also, uh, hired by Burton, found himself in a partnership that would catapult his career into the stratosphere. Like I said, didn't know Pee Wee was uh, Burton. While Elfman's compositions remain almost too numerous to consider picking one, his contribution to 1989's Batman movie perhaps stands as his shining moment as a film composer. God, come on. I mean, his score and a couple of Prince's songs, you know. Oh, I mean. The Party Man. I just can't even. The uh, extensive list also includes Dark Shadows, Sleepy Hollow, oh. and Edward Scissorhands. Well, there you go. All Tim Burton all movies Tim Burton. starring Johnny Depp. I'm yep. amazed Johnny Depp didn't play Batman, considering Tim Burton directed them. That would have been pretty amazing. It would have been pretty interesting. Didn't know this. Mission Impossible 1. Hmm. Uh, Goodwill Hunting. Oh, Men in Black. Wow. Uh, and uh, truly astonishing stuff. I really had no oh, idea. Men in Black? Yeah, yeah. Now that you say that, I can hear it. Yeah. 
wow, it's weird how you can make that connection. The second you know, you go, ah, I See, hear it. You're mostly you don't know you didn't know any of these as I no. did either until I looked them up for the show. I was as no. surprised as you are. I assumed that they were just you know brilliant composers that I just didn't know, right? Because yeah. as most movies are scored by brilliant people I've never heard of. The, yeah, sadly. I mean, most movie scores you got to face. Most movie scores are excellent. Oh yeah. I mean, I love. There are some old silent movies that I like, but sometimes the scores are pretty hilarious. Um, the uh, I don't know if it was the original. I have an old cheap bulk DVD of Nosferatu, uh, 1902. You know, no uh, idea. No, 1922. Sorry, a hundred years ago. Wow. Nosferatu, the original Dracula movie. Wow. And um, the uh, in fact they they tried to sue them and, and put the film out of existence Crazy. because it was they were totally ripping off Bram Stoker. Oh. But uh, the score on the DVD I have, I swear, it sounds as if they put a rhesus monkey. Chained to a pipe organ and just roll tape for ninety six minutes. Oh you know, my God. That's how bad it is. Wow! But most scores are excellent. And now here's a film. Did you ever see the movie about the uh, the origin of Facebook, the social network? I sure did. You did. Okay. So good. Do you know who did the score? No. Amazing. You're going to be astonished again, Mr. Trent Reznor. <laughs> All right. Trent Reznor's talent when it comes to creating atmosphere is almost unsurpassed in Come popular on. music. Seriously. I mean, he really seems like a guy who would do film scores. You know. He should. Uh, do more. Having contributed bits of music to the likes of David Lynch, Oliver Stone, and David Fincher, it only seemed like a matter of time before the Nine Inch Nails frontman would attempt a full blown score. And, uh, well, like I said, he's that kind of guy. It doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't something like Requiem for a Dream or something like yeah. that. Some really weird, dark... Because he, I mean, not that he can't do anything, but that would be amazing. Some of these guys surprise you with the stuff they, they choose to direct or score or whatever. I think that um, one left it wide open, though, because he could go wherever he wanted with it, with the social network. W- with a credit like that, I mean, with the credit like that, if he did some horror thing, people would go, oh, well, it's horror. Yeah, of course you know? he did. Just like Tim yeah. Burton, oh, he did, he did some dark stuff. That's weird. Some dark you stuff, know? some... Uh, you know, comic book stuff. That's you know, so I mean, weird. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. I so. mean, trying to turn Dark Shadows into a comedy. You know. And how about going back to the glory days of soul cinema, the Twin Titans, Superfly. Oh, my God. Who is it? <laughs> I don't remember who's in Superfly. <laughs> no, who the, 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 the music. Curtis Mayfield. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, Superfly. There are good movie scores, and then there are the scores that completely seem to overwhelm the movie they were intended to soundtrack. Yeah. Such is the case with Curtis Mayfield's score to the 1972 black exploitation film Superfly. Superfly. While the film itself remains an enjoyable and entertaining relic of its time, like me, uh, Mayfield's, <laughs> Mayfield's music represented a pioneering and exceptional piece of work in the soul funk movement. I love that they said a relic of its time because there's so many movies that fall into that mm-hmm. you could not make those movies today no but no. they're they're so good like, yeah again somebody was mentioning online that they watch trading places uh-huh. every christmas and i'm like i watch it year round you mean every christmas but again you cannot make that movie today but, no there's a lot but, of movies you could never make they're today. amazing but yeah you know you're like when you watch mac you're like ooh, <laughs> i got that <laughs> yeah and of course isaac hayes chef Oh, my God. Right on. That's right. They say that cat shaft is a bad mother. I mean, it's a great... Listen to the lyric of this thing. He's a complicated man. Yes. But no one understands him but his woman. Oh, wait a second. First of all, Robert Klein, I think it was, did a comedy routine about this. It was funny. He was saying, like, no one understands him but his woman. He has 
two moods, angry and indifferent, you know. <laughs> and what, his woman understands him. Right at the start of the song, they tell us he's a, quote, sex machine to all the chicks. Mm, to all the chicks. All the chicks. Mm, hey. I mean, you know, I mean, I could be that too if I wanted. So are we Why to believe... <laughs> Do it. Are we to believe they all understand him? I- you know, but song lyrics, it's best not to ask too many questions. So. And there was an entire film franchise about a dangerous dude dispensing vigilante justice, you might recall, known as Death Wish, starring <laughs> Charles Bronson, running from 1974 to 1994. I think he was like wow. 75 when he made the last one or something like that. You know? Damn. Uh, the soundtrack to the first installment was penned by a man who, in the 70s, experimented with jazz fusion, funk, and electro styles, utilizing a wide array of synthesizers and electronics. This is Death Wish now. It was during the period that he released perhaps his best-known and most influential album, which I have, which is awesome, Headhunters. Yes, the genius of Herbie Hancock. Headhunters is, a, is an incredible album. Herbie Hancock, though. I mean, he's he's brilliant. Come on. I know he's known for Rocket, but he's, he did so yeah, much. Yeah, Headhunters is probably the definitive Herbie Hancock. Oh, yeah. Although he plays, you know, classical piano. He does all kinds he's of an, stuff. He's incredible. Yeah. Uh, that album, Headhunters, does not have a single note of guitar on it, mm-hmm. although you would swear it did. You listen to it and you yeah, hear these. Well. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't have any guitar, though. Nope. And it manages to be totally badass, too. Uh, he also, Hancock also scored a film about a musician called Round Midnight, for which he received, in addition to many international awards, an Oscar. I did not know that. I didn't know he received Herbie an Hancock Oscar. Herbie Hancock got an Oscar Hell for yeah, Herb. the movie uh, Round Midnight, which I never heard of. Nice, me neither. And the soundtracks for both Death Wish 2 and 3 were written by a man who, I pray, needs no introduction to any of you. Uh, do you happen to know? No. No. Because... Okay. Well, no, I, I, I have no fucking idea. I've never idea. seen the movies either. Yeah. No, I saw the second one, actually. I just I stopped watching it after that. Usually the second kills it for me. <laughs> uh, well, that factoid, maybe you didn't know, but you are certainly familiar with Mr. Jimmy Page. Oh, God, yeah. You know, it's funny. I always, I always knew he did Death Wish 2, but I never heard about 3 until just now. I didn't know he did Death Wish at all. Yeah, he did. I mean, Jimmy Page doing movie soundtracks and sequels, too. That just sounds weird, you know? Uh, In a more electronic, progressive vein, we have a man considered one of the most important figures in the history of electronic music, Vangelis. The Greek... Yeah, Vangelis, yeah. Wow, I hadn't heard of that one in a long time. I pulled that one out from the very back, like there is a file cabinet, and it's way the fuck back there. Vangelis, some interesting stuff I just learned about him. The uh, Greek composer started a band called Forminks in the 60s, and another called Aphrodite's Child in the 70s. And the latter's album, Aphrodite's Child album, 666, is considered a progressive psychedelic classic. Mm. He also worked yes. as a duo with Yes's John Anderson. Ah. And I did not know this. It was tapped by Anderson to replace the departing Rick Wakeman. Uh, but for work visa difficulties yeah, and the like, out. you know, would have done so. But instead, we ended up with one album featuring Patrick Moraz and Relayer is a doozy, of course. Yeah. You know? oh yeah. My God, so yeah. Patrick Moraz, uh, but Brilliant. it was almost Vangelis. I don't know if he's that kind of good as Patrick Moraz. We wouldn't have had the same album, of course. No, know? but he's brilliant. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, he is. But why is he on the list, though? Because Mr. Vangelis also composed movie music for a number of films, including The Bounty. Blade Runner. Oh, shit. Yeah, and of course, Chariots of Fire, for which he earned an Academy Award. I was going to say, there's another Oscar. (laughs) Saving that one for last. Yeah. Another progressive legend had an extensive solo recording career and has done collaborations with 
and produced for just about everyone, including David Bowie, Robert Fripp, U2, Devo, The Talking Heads. But he began as a founding member of Genesis? Roxy Music. Oh, it's Roxy and Music. And I'm speaking of Brian Eno. Fuck yeah. Brian Eno. Ugh. He composed the score to Peter Jackson's The Lovely Bones. Oh. I think it was you that put me onto that one, right? Yeah, because remember I wrote The Abduction of Jane Doe is about that Yeah, movie. yeah, and, and I watched that movie because brilliant. you, and it was brilliant. It was so brilliant, yeah. And the soundtrack, without the soundtrack, and obviously the, the, obviously the visuals, that movie would not be what it is. You know, and I sit there and I look at credits and I don't remember it saying Eno, but I do. I read credits when the, when the film's coming on. I do too, but... There was a lot. You were probably looking at a lot of credits because there was a lot of like, who did the visuals on this? Who did this? Where was it? Because it's, it's brilliant. That movie. I know people would not think it's brilliant. It is so good. Oh yeah. Now Eno has spread his techniques and theories primarily through his production. Mm-hmm. His distinctive style informed a number of projects in which he has been involved, including Bowie's Berlin trilogy. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, uh, helping to popularize minimalism. Uh, and the albums he produced were Talking Heads, mm-hmm. incorporating on Eno's advice, African music and polyrhythms, yes. Devo, and other groups. Um, oh, hang on. The musical geeks are really excited about the polyrhythms moment. Polyrhythms. Let's just let them have a moment. Okay? Did they really? Yeah, let them, let them let drink them, that yes, in. Yes, they're drinking that drink in. Drink that in. You know. mm, polyrhythms. Polyrhythms. Okay. You guys And we'll better? sit here pretending to know what that means. Yes. And you oh, can just polyrhythm. Yes, polyrhythms. of course. Yeah. You know, yes. Love polyrhythms. Yeah, yeah every my, day. My favorite kind of rhythms. Yeah, you know? of course. <laughs> of, of all rhythms, that is right. clearly my favorite. Uh, <laughs> Eno's first collaboration with David Byrne, 1981's My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, mm. utilized sampling techniques and broke ground by incorporating world music into popular Western forms. And we hear that far and wide now. So yes. oh, that alone Not is a... Not always done that well, though. No, but that's that's a major legacy right there. I mean, everybody started doing it, you know... Um, Alanis Morissette, uh, well, Paul Simon, Graceland, that was a really big thing. I mean, a lot of a lot of acts, uh, and that's Eno was even ahead of the other guy we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it'll come to me it, once uh, without looking back at the can narrative. It'll. Are still you talking about the Oingo Boingo gentleman? Um, Elfman? Yeah, Elfman. Yes. Yeah, Elfman. There you go. All right. Uh, as for Bo- Bo- Bowie's Berlin trilogy, it was not just production and instrumentation. He's credited with a number of co-writes, and Bowie almost never collaborates on writing. Right. Almost never. That. Eno and Iggy, bring back the mortification, uh, are the, <laughs> the only ones that come to mind. And the songs he wrote with Iggy were for Iggy's album, not his own. You know, um, Eno's 78 studio album, Music for Films, was a loose compilation of material recorded between 75 and 78 Intended as a conceptual soundtrack for imaginary films. Mm. Just like, hey, here's a song that would be a kind of a movie song, you know. And only the last track, Final Sunset, was written for an actual film. It proved to be a fruitful project, though, with nearly every piece on the album going on to be used in future films. Mm. Imagine that. Uh, yeah, this thing you said was just, we'll, we'll actually do that. Damn. John Woo's A Better Tomorrow, Rock and Roll High School, to my amazement. Never saw it. And uh, Dario Argento for the film Opera. We'll be talking more about Argento in a little bit. Uh, Mm. Speaking of Dario Argento, Italian um, giallo film director, uh, uh, suspense thrillers and horror uh, legend from the 70s, still working. I always say catch a (laughs) (laughs) The the king of uh, corn syrup uh, has a brand new movie out. I just found this out. Argento? Argento has still got a brand new movie that just came out. I just watched it. Yep. Uh, and I was very, speaking of Argento, I was very surprised 
but happy to look at this one of these lists, and they included, this is not me, they included Claudio Simonetti's Goblin, and the score for the legendary Argento uh, classic, which is running a dance academy yep. film, Suspiria, Suspiria, starring Jessica Harper, who certainly must have needed a bit of uh, ooh shock treatment after the events Hell in this yeah, flick. She did. <laughs> and it just so happened. I didn't want to say anything. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring shock treatment in, but there it is. It had to. It had to happen. And while I was talking to somebody at the show, and they did not know Jessica Harper was a singer. What they didn't know? I said no. She sings. She's on, got a sexy she, voice. She sings on Shock Treatment. She sings on uh, Phantom of the Paradise. She's brilliant. Yeah, um, uh, sings uh, Paul Williams' songs on Phantom of the Paradise. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's one of my favorite soundtracks. You know, me and Demon Boy are like the only two people that ever heard of it that I know of. But it's a ma- magnificent soundtrack. Anyway, and as it so happens, I saw Goblin one week ago tonight, this very night, performing the score live to that uh, Suspiria. Uh, seated, and as the film played, and thankfully, when it was over, they kicked the chairs aside and kicked the audience ass like we knew they were going to do. But I didn't put them on this list. I was surprised that they did. However... Um, for movie soundtracks? Come on. Well, for, well, for they're supposed to be pop stars and rock stars who did movie soundtracks afterwards. Hmm. With I think Argento started out doing those, and now they put out records that have nothing to do with movies. Now they put out just progressive rock records. But I think yeah, I think true. he started with movies. I think they got it backwards with uh, maybe Simonetti. But uh, any chance to talk about this wonderful act is okay. But it's it's on the list by them. Another Argento film called Inferno, which uh, after Suspiria was the second in the so-called Mother's Trilogy, the, the Witch's Mother's Trilogy, which spanned decades, was scored by a true rock rock legend, namely Keith Emerson, oh, who fuck. also yeah, who also scored the first action film starring Sylvester Stallone in the lead role. I didn't know that. Damn, Nighthawks. That was Keith Emerson as well. It saddens me to think, but I must acknowledge the dark possibility that some of you listeners might not know this composer from the band which featured his name, Emerson Lake and Palmer. To those of you, uh, I, I I say do look into them and expand your horizons. That's my counsel. Yeah, and don't tell anyone you didn't know who they were. Don't tell anyone you didn't know who yeah, they were. it's not a because, good idea. Yeah, Keith Emerson. So there's Argento. Uh, Argento also um, had a couple of his films scored by the great Ennio Morricone. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, good, good guys working on those. But what actually made me think of this topic, I was watching a film from uh, many years ago starring the bros, Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez, the latter of whom, remember from uh, from the wonderful Maximum Overdrive, the latter of whom, Estevez, wrote and directed this picture. And to me, it's just so weird that they don't play brothers in it. <laughs> They're just two guys. They just happen to look a lot alike, you know. And uh, saw the name Stuart Copeland credited as having done the score. And I'm like, huh. Now, you know, one mustn't jump to conclusions from a name. Oh, no, that's Stuart Copeland. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, if you watch the first couple of Mad Max movies, you'll see the music was written by one Brian May. Oh, yeah. But it's not uh, Dr. Brian May, the goat from Queen. No. It's somebody else, you know. The film uh, that I was talking about, Men at Work, which is a pretty odd title, considering it's about garbage men, and you never see that. They're at work. Yeah, but you never see a sign saying Men at Work for them because the very nature of their job has them in constant motion. Men at work is usually like got dudes on the road who are working. You know, you know what's funny is I actually sorry going back to a second ago. I don't think they look that much alike because Charlie Sheen is hot, Emilio Estevez is not. Um, <laughs> Charlie Sheen is a is a really good looking no, guy. He's hot, but he does look Estevez like his brother. Is not. <laughs> oh shit! Sorry, dude. Sorry, <laughs> he never thought he was attractive. I I look at Charlie <laughs> Sheen, look at him, like how are you brothers? I don't get it. <laughs> so to me. It it they don't even look alike. Hopefully, I know Emilio's not listening. But, I know uh, they're. I'm not saying he's ugly. He's yeah. just not as hot as his brother. Yeah, Charlie Sheen's got to give it to him. He's a good looking guy. I mean, seriously, um, especially in that movie. Good God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
with the hair, and I can't. But as you said, it was actually Stuart Copeland of the Police, yes. uh, who I found out then had composed music for television and many films, included including Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish mm. and Oliver Stone's Wall Street. I heard that. Didn't know which also. I didn't know the Rumblefish. Also with Charlie Sheen. So uh, Stuart Copeland must have some uh, tiger's blood because he's definitely winning. Winning. <laughs> Hashtag winning. winning. And uh, so, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just want to say that tonight. I've had the time of my life. Mm. I never felt this way before. Wow. <laughs> that was the one I was talking about before. There were for all this god-awful piece of shit movie, um, D- Dirty Dancing. So awful. It is a source of wonder to me how some films can become iconic without the benefit of ever having been any good. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> suck, suck, suck. Iconic. You know, that's... Uh, it was the time, it was the subject matter, it I, was Patrick Swayze, it was all of that. Uh, you know, I mean, it, I put it, it and Baby in the corner. Yeah. yeah, well, he was next level hot. Well, there's that, you know. But the whole, the premise, the act, all of it was terrible. Yeah, it was dreadful. Great dance number at the end with a song that's a complete accurate. And I didn't know that the movie was supposed to have taken place in 1963. <laughs> there is no way in hell any record would ever sound like that in 1963. No. They did not have the poss- the capability of making a record sound like that. So it's a total anachronism. But, I mean, it's a good, at least a good scene. Grease and Saturday Night Fever also come to mind in that category. You know, I was at the theater a week or so ago watching the truly excellent uh, film... Uh, Glass Onion, I mentioned before. And they were advertising some upcoming shows as the, quote, the greatest films of all time. They were old movies that they're going to bring back and play at the theater. And I like to do that. Yeah. Um, I've seen a couple of old movies in the theater. It's cool. And the list included Saturday Night Fever. Fuck yeah. But I mean, greatest films of all time? No. Come on. No. No. And wait for it. I'm not kidding. Friday the 13th. I was like, (laughs) yeah. What? (laughs) All right. Mm. All right. The only thing that, that I can re- use to recommend Friday the 13th is Jason's not in it. If you don't like Jason, it's cool because he's not in it. You know, hmm. His mom does all the killing. But apart from that, it's nothing special. Not, the greatest, not the greatest film of all time. And then they had up in there along with that funny face. It's like, okay, now you're getting warmer. You know? Wow, that's well, a very interesting mix. Yeah, funny face, Friday the 13th. Okay. All right. So I think I ran out of the lists, and I was talking to somebody before, and they were coming up with other ones. It's like, oh, shit. Well, too bad nobody on the list. The, the people in all the lists I looked at didn't have any mention of Herbie Hancock or Jimmy Page. It's like, what, when were you people born that you didn't yeah, even mention it? So weird. who knows what we're – you can write to us and tell us what a notable pop rock star uh, gone on to become movie composers uh, that we overlooked. We would love to hear it. Yeah. And at both on air. Both on air. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. Anyway, since it's around holiday time and you'll be hearing this, I feel it would be remiss of me if I didn't warn you that while you guys are gathered around the table and there's that like ubiquitous cranberry sauce, yeah. give some thought to whether it might not really be the blob. I mean, hiding in plain sight. In other words... Okay, you get the point. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the blob. Scariest shit you ever saw as a kid. Yeah. I mean, you know. You can ooze under doors and shit. I can't. But about the cranberry sauce, you know, you can think about it. You can never underestimate the enemy. And 
If I were an extraterrestrial mass of jelly who wanted to absorb people, that's what I would do, right? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be smart? I mean, that's smart. Or that would be could, the, the smart play, you right? You could appear in an Argento movie. I mean, you could just rule that whole thing. You could you could be a maggot covered with ketchup and be Seriously, in an Argento movie. Absolutely. Yeah, if I were the blob, I would play possum. I would, if it has the intellect. See, the thing is, I don't know. I don't know if it's as smart as I am, but that's what I would do. It can follow me wherever I go. It can ooze under doors and shit. It's fucking brill. Yeah, man, that, that shit freaked me out. I can't. And what you should do is to say the thing, the thing that we say at the end of the thing, which is... Let's fly this coop. This has been Winging It, a presentation of Birds of a Feather, on What the Flock Radio.